Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, Solar Warrior. I want to give you a quick intro to what you're about to hear. It is a replay of a video recording that we've been publishing. It's called our SPI Weekly Roundup. If you're completely unfamiliar, then perhaps you're not paying much attention to the annual Solar Power International Conference that's happening right now in its micro-conference version in the United States of America. I would encourage you to go check it out at mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. I'm so grateful for our sponsors, LG Solar, and our new sponsor, Idematech, and so many of the fun collaborations that we've been able to have. Of course, we get into other interviews and things that you missed from last week's SPI and Energy Storage International. I hope that you'll tune in this Friday at 4.30 p.m. where we'll have another episode and another segment of the Industry Pulse, as well as a couple of good cameos and goodies and the long-awaited giveaway by our friends at Idematech. So give it a listen and give us a shout out on LinkedIn or Twitter if you're listening with the hashtag SPI Suncast. In the meantime, I hope that you'll enjoy this redux of the Suncast Weekly Roundup SPI edition. Hey, welcome back to this week's North America Smart Energy Week Suncast Weekly Roundup presented by LG Solar. I'm Nico Johnson. And I'm Glenda Johnson. Nico, I cannot believe that it's already week five of our weekly roundup. Time's flying, Glenda. It has indeed. The lineup, however, of incredible industry experts continues this week, and it has been a doozy. This week, we focused on grid integration. The sessions are on hybrid resources, DERs, community resiliency, and more. Glenda, I'm wondering, do you have a favorite session? It's really hard to pick my favorite, but overall, Wednesday, I really did learn a lot about grid integration from policies, latest technologies, and some best practices on what's needed to accommodate changes to the distribution grid. Yeah, I agree, Glenda. Wednesday for me was uh, a highlight of, of the of the micro conferences generally. Uh, it's a rare treat indeed to see someone from the National Association of Regulatory Utility Commissioners on the same panel as Sunrun debating a hot topic like the evolution of requirements of ever higher penetration of distributed energy resources. And that conversation with past Suncast guest Chris Rauscher of Sunrun and Danielle Barnett on Wednesday just shows for me how far our industry has come. And I really feel I left encouraged that we're finally getting a place at the table that we've so long deserved regarding the inevitable scenario where DERs are the norm, not the new kid on the block. 
And I was equally excited to have our friend Josh Porter from the, mm-hmm. the Solar Coaster join us in the green room this week for our one-on-one interviews. I was getting those podcast lounge feelings all over again, Nico. But before we check out those one-on-ones, LG Solar's Brian Lynch is back again for our industry pulse. Yeah, that's right, Glenda. Each week, Brian goes one-on-one with industry experts to get hot takes on where our industry is and what's impacting our future. Let's head on over to Brian, standing by with this week's Industry Pulse expert. Thanks, Nico. Welcome to this week's Industry Pulse, sponsored by LG. I am Brian Lynch, Director of Solar and Energy Storage Sales with LG, joined today by Ian LaCour, Vice President General Manager of Baker Home Electric in San Diego, California. Ian, welcome. Um, Give us a little introduction. Tell us uh, who Baker is for those that aren't familiar and what you've been up to in 2020. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, it's been a a tough 2020 for everyone. Definitely the first half with a quick rebound in, in, in the back half. Baker Electric Home Energy is part of the Baker Electric uh, Commercial Electric Group, established uh, 1938, so three generations, family-owned business. The uh, residential solar division, Baker Electric Home Energy, was established back in uh, 2007. We've done over 13,000 residential homes in a fairly small, restricted area. So we, we really focus on Southern California in fact, SDG&E and, and uh, part of the SCE uh, utility. Um, we, I guess the, the ethos is to look after the customers and they'll refer their friends. Fantastic. And Baker's been a great partner for LG for many years. And certainly we recognize you as being just really a, a high quality uh, residential solar installer and an all around great partner. I want to ask you, in the context of 2020, the residential side of solar seems to have borne like a huge brunt during Q2, or maybe the utility sector and the commercial industrial plowed through it because of the kind of length of time it takes them to start projects. Um, but we have seen a V-shaped recovery in Q3, at least from LG on a national level. What did you experience in Southern California, which is obviously one of the most mature markets across the country? And what do you attribute this kind of market dynamic to? I think like all of us, we've taken, uh, I mean, we'd, we'd heard of, of things coming, but uh, what was it, um, you know, mid-March, everything everything shut down. The world went crazy for a while. And we were uncertain, just like everybody was, on, on where it would take us. But it uh, quickly proved that solar uh, was more than just a wish list for people. It was actually a necessity. Um, people were spending more time at home than ever before. Uh, at least here in Southern California, the weather very quickly became hot. Um, people were cranking their air conditioners, you know, working from home, kids at home, um, you know, people buying pools, just that e- extra electricity consumption. And uh, solar became more than just a, hey, it, it, it's, a, it's a cool thing to do. It was, hey, I, I need this to do. I need to get my monthly budget under control. I'm looking ways to. I'm looking for ways to invest my you know, my money. I'm not taking trips. Let's invest in the home. So solar ticked a few of those boxes. Um, yeah, I think that's where we've seen the um, you know, consistent demand coming from. Yeah, it makes sense, and it actually echoes what we saw in the Harris Poll survey that we did back in Q2, which coincidentally was timed right as COVID kind of was becoming a real thing in the market, and customers were adapting to this. And really what we heard from consumers is they saw solar as an investment in resiliency and investment in their home. So uh, it makes sense that you also saw that in your market. In, I mean, so much has changed during 2020. 
what has Baker done to adapt to this new way of social distance selling and this new way of engaging with customers? I think firstly, we've learned a lot along the way and we've learned it with our customers. So, you know, the fact that we're doing this uh, this this Zoom meeting now and it's it's not unnatural says a lot about uh, just the society in general. And uh, we very quickly had to, you know, jump on board and make sure our consultants had A, the right technology and, and B, were very comfortable using it. Um, but on top of that, we, we quickly pivoted to, you know, getting the lighting right or whatever that may be to actually go back into uh, the basics, you know, how to how to build rapport with the customer, how to make sure that the customer is comfortable, the customer is getting everything that they need to make a decision, um, you know, and, and and feel comfortable with you know, quite a large uh, purchase decision most of the time. Um, so that, that was the biggest pivot initially, technology based, but then really understanding how to use the technology and have, have our consultants uh, comfortable and our homeowners, our customers comfortable at the same time. Got it. You know, we've been watching what's happening on a national level with your competitors, other residential sales organizations, and some of them have moved to an online only sales platform. Really, you can buy solar just with mouse clicks. And I think the intent there is to just drive costs out, remove the salesperson from the equation. Is, is that impacting your business? What are you seeing from a market impact related to, to what some competitors are doing? I think, uh, I mean, market uh, solar's been evolving for years and the way it's marketing, uh, market has changed, the way it's sold has changed. Uh, we know that that style of, um, I, I guess, customer acquisition is out there. It doesn't fit with the way that we do business and, and most of our customers, I think the majority of our customers are not looking for that. Um, there's a lot that goes into solar uh, from you know, the choices that they need to make um, along the way, um, the design, uh, whether it be product or whether it be sizing, throw in energy storage, throwing what they're using now, you know, consumption advice on what are they doing with an EV, um, how do we tie that into the, the EV charger in, in as well. Um, there's a lot to it. And, uh, you know, we, I think, if anything, we've seen people uh, or customers kind of try that out, not get their answers um or not feel comfortable with and come back to us. Um, ultimately, um, it doesn't really matter how we get the customer. It's, it's, it's having them comfortable with the system, having it installed and then being a partner with us for the next 15, 20, 25, 40 years. Right. So we, we want to make sure that the people that we're putting solar, when we're putting solar on their roofs, um, they know exactly what they're getting. They're comfortable with and, and, and it's, it's a long-term partnership. So I, I don't, I think we're a ways away from that. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it develops over the next year or two. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat as you. Again, for that Harris poll data that I mentioned before, what we learned from that is 30% of customers will want a cheaper upfront cost and they're willing to sacrifice long-term savings from that. And 70% of the customers, the other side of that, don't want that. They will, they're willing to invest in a higher price system that will be better for them in the long run. And you know, thinking about the context of what we've seen through our solar concierge program, where we are engaging directly with customers, what we saw when these online low-cost solar offers became really prevalent over the summer, customers were actually coming to our concierge program and trying to get our salespeople to engage with them to explain what these proposals meant. Once we figured that out, we realized that it was easy to sell against it simply because 
the competitor couldn't rebut because they weren't having a salesperson involved. So yeah, uh, I think I think it's important for us to be ourselves. I mean, if if yeah. our customers are finding value in the service that we provide, then we need to continue to maintain that service. If we're going, if we want to go down the you know, copycat approach, then something's going to something's got to give, and it would have to be the service and. Uh, that's not fair to the people who, um, you know, or, or to our long-term vision and even to our employees. So um, it, maybe the market will segment over time. At the moment, I think it's a very small percentage. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a grand experiment. Uh, we should all watch it closely. The whole industry should watch it closely and, and see as the industry matures and solar becomes more broad-based accepted, there will likely be high relevance in, in what's happening. Um 2020 has been crazy. Uh, hopefully we never repeat another year like this. I certainly don't want to, but with the benefit of hindsight, what would you have done different? Uh, and how, with what we all went through in 2020, is this evolving Baker going forward? What are you going to take from a, kind of a post-pandemic sales environment and use it as a, a new best practice? So I think there's two things there, Brian. I think firstly, um, it, it, it's, it, it is, and, and I'm, I'm pausing because it's actually their, their, uh, their, their opposite thoughts. But firstly, the importance of technology. So um, implementing technology and have a strong technology platform is, is crucial for not just solar, but any business going forward. But that can't, I, I don't believe technology replaces the people. So having a core, a really strong group of people, uh, strong values, uh, strong corporate culture um, and, and really understanding the value that you add to your to your homeowners and then striving in difficult times to deliver. So it hasn't always been easy, for example, to um, to meet the um, you know the our promises to the to the homeowners in in, in challenging times like this. But it but it makes it a struggle and, and that's what we have to do. So I, I think um, two things I think we you always need to keep up from a technology standpoint. And this year is a reminder of the importance of people at the same time and, and, and not to let one outweigh the other. That's interesting. It's, you have to maintain the human element via digital platform. And that's what we're struggling with, right? We're doing a online exposition. I personally, I think I've been to 14 or 15 consecutive SPIs. I always joke that CN needs to buy me a cup of coffee at the convention center because I got my a punch card ready. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is the new world. This is digital. We're trying to maintain these human relationships. Ian, I miss taking out for a beer, seeing you in San Diego, but it, it will happen again in the future. Um, cl- closing thoughts. What does 2021 look like? Obviously, tax credit is set to expire. Clearly, the election might change that. Uh, how are you planning for 2021? Do you see it being a, a strong year relative to 2020? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. I, I think 2020 is going to be, as we see it now, is going to be a, um, a bonanza year. Um, you know, the, I, I think definitely in Southern California, um, the market is driven by, by weather and the market is driven by utility costs. Um, and uh, in, in 2021, with the extra incentive of the tax credit uh, cliff, so to speak, um, if it'll be interesting to see how that plays out after after November and the months the months after that, uh, but I think we can only plan for what we know. And at the moment, we 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 expect it to go away. So there will be challenges from timeframes and customer expectations. But I think from a pure demand standpoint, um, yeah, it's going to be a bonanza year. That's great. I, I think the optimism of what's to come is what's keeping us all motivated through what has been an absolutely crazy year. Ian, thank you so much for your insights, your thoughts, and your time. 
That's it for this week's Industry Pulse, sponsored by LG. And now back to the studio with Nico and Glenda. I've been wondering, what's your least favorite solar asset management activity? You know, those daily, weekly, sometimes monthly deliverables that you just have to check off the list but can be such a drag. Well, let me tell you how to press the easy button and get going on the work that really matters by automating your invoicing and ticketing and reporting with PowerHub. Focus on the work that you want to do. Take the boring stuff off your plate with PowerHub. You can go to powerhub.com forward slash suncast to learn more. Hey, have you been looking for a clever way to get on Suncast? Well, here's your chance. We've got a new segment called Suncast Weekly Roundup presented by LG Solar, and it's a part of the all-new microconference experience at North America Smart Energy Week 2020. You can learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. You can register with our discount code to get 15% off. You can share your takeaways for a chance to win fun prizes and follow along. And as I said, you never know, you might even end up on one of the segments, but you got to participate to win. Hope you'll join us. Mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. See you there. Have you been searching for that perfect rule that gets you into clean energy or maybe transitions your career to the next level, might I invite you to check out LightSource BP. That's right, the global company focused on solar energy and low carbon economies backed by one of the largest energy companies in the world. From strategy around the world to action locally. You can be inspired and be the change by joining LightSource BP. By choosing a career at LightSource BP, you will join a team that truly cares about creating a more sustainable future for our world through safe and meaningful low-carbon energy projects. Learn more and find out what career awaits you at lightsourcebp.com forward slash careers. Thanks, Brian, for another great interview. And I have to say, Nico, I'm really enjoying this Industry Pulse segment. It's great to have Ian LaCour offer his insights on what has indeed been a crazy year for many of us. Yeah, Ian and Brian, you helped us certainly get a sense of confidence that we're heading in the right direction. Okay, it's time to say aloha to our special guest, Josh Porter from Solar Coaster. He's joining us inside the green room with our first guest from this week's Grid Integration Micro Conference. Thanks, Nico and Glenda. And as Nico said, my name is Josh Porter, co-founder of the Solar Coaster radio show here in Maui, Hawaii. And it's great to be collaborating with Suncast again this year. I'm pleased uh, to be here inside of the green room with Emma Nicholson, Senior Project Manager, Concentric Energy Advisors to dig into hybrid resources, uh, uh, providing resource adequacy for a carbon-free grid, uh, this session, which took place on Tuesday. Uh, welcome to the, uh, the, the the show, Emma. Thank you very much for having me. So let's jump right in here. I did get a chance to review that session. It, I learned a lot myself. Uh, tell me, what are some of the key insights that you hope attendees took away from your session this past Tuesday? Um, I think uh, one of the big key insights is that there's a real willingness on the part of ISOs, um, independent system operators and regional transmission organizations, which are the folks that run wholesale markets, to integrate hybrid resources. Just because they're uh, a significant part of the pipeline, the the resources in the interconnection queue, and there is so much, um, they do offer a lot of promise. So I wanted to 
even though there are a lot of details that have to be wrinkled out, ironed out and wrinkles to sort of overcome to incorporate these resources, there's also a great willingness to do so. So I think that's really good, um, a, a kind of a positive message for everybody to leave with everybody. That's uh, that's good to hear. I mean, is that something that you think, uh, were you surprised to, to, to see that, 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 that there was that willingness? I wasn't that surprised, but I think that everybody understands that the market rules have to keep up with this rapidly changing technology. And FERC, when they did their storage participation rule, um, 841, I think really got us halfway there with hybrid resources because a lot of them, obviously, they they would be comprised of a battery storage and an intermittent resource. So I, I think that everyone understands sort of the trend that the, the ISO market rules have to keep up with the technologies that's in the market. And then, of course, this hybrid resource, a combination of storage and in variable energy resources is, is, is the latest, the newest kid in town. So um, I, I, was, I, I was not surprised, but um, happy at least to, to see the willingness for them to hold stakeholder conferences. And actually, FERC had its own, had its own tech conference in July about hybrid resources. Pretty interesting stuff here. Now, let me ask you this. Do you feel like... They, I, you had mentioned that there was the issue of uh, uh, market dynamics. So now that you have this willingness from the ISOs to embrace these hybrid resources, that we need to align market dynamics with that because they could be developed in ways that you know don't reflect the actual needs of, of, the, of the of the power and energy. Can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. One of the bigger aspects of market participation that has to change is, is mitigating the market power of these resource types, the hybrid resource type. And typically these rules are designed for a central station thermal resource, say a coal or a natural gas plant whose um, marginal cost is fairly easily discernible as our heat rate and the fuel price plus variable O&M. And then a, type of, a hybrid resource is a completely different animal for the ISO. So that standard um, mechanism to estimate what their competitive offer costs is going to be a lot different. And it'll have to take into the account that the battery could be used for firming up the wind. Um, it could be used to provide ancillaries or it could be used um, ex- um, exclusively or, you know, the usage of that battery could be to um, capture and monetize the benefits of the investment tax credit that batteries that are co-located with storage are going to be enti- are entitled to. So I think that the market power mitigation rules have to be more in line with the actual economic incentives of these resources. That's just one of the aspects that's going to have to change. Amazing. Amazing. You know, out here in Maui, as you can see in my background, we have a, a, a couple of large wind assets uh, that have been developing over the years. And I know that they've been discussing bringing in more storage to those. So kind of on a similar vein. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, is there any question that you would have liked our attendees to ask you and your fellow panelists on the session that, that didn't get asked? Um, I think... I, I, it was a quite of a, a short amount of time, but I think it's it's important to understand the, the big differences between what's a front of the meter, what we call front of the meter hybrid or co-located resource, which is something that injects directly into the grid. So that's a utility scale hybrid. And then distribution connected hybrid resource, which would be, say, a rooftop solar with a battery component. Um, and the way that they would interface is really quite different. Um, and, and, and the... Um, the, the the participation issues that an aggregated DER would face would be addressed by the FERC order two 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 two. That's actually a um, a, pr- a proposed rule, not a final rule. And um, the hybrid resource, the utility scale front of the meter, 
um, hybrid resource, there isn't actually any rule addressing their participation yet. But I just wanted to make sure that um, we didn't get a lot to talk too much more about the difference of those two types of resources, but certainly there's a lot of differences in the way they're going to interact with the markets because the uh, DERs, the aggregated DERs, are going to actually be both playing in wholesale and retail, or at least they'd be allowed to. But the grid-connected, front-of-the-meter, hybrid and co-located um, would only be wholesale dealing with the wholesale market. Understood. Thank you for that uh, clarification. All right. Well, mahalo, Emma, for joining us in the green room today. Thank you very much. Now let's head over to Glenda, who's standing by with our next guest, John Wellinghoff. Thank you, Josh. We are here now with who the moderator, Kurnia Kuzik, actually mentioned as not really needing an introduction. John Wellinghoff, founder and chief executive officer of Grid Policy and FERC's longest serving chairman from 2009 to 2013. Welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Of course. Uh, well, you had a great session on Tuesday, solar and storage as transmission assets. Um, and it was a full panel of national experts there that explained current and emerging FERC regulations on this issue, um, planning processes and performance requirements, and to also discuss solar and storage implementation as advanced transmission technologies. What are some key takeaways you think you got from that panel and you want to share with attendees who may have missed that session? Well, I think the key takeaway is that storage as a transmission asset is actually happening. I mean, there are people that are doing it, it is working. Um, the Oakland project is a great uh, showcase of that. And then also the one that I was not as much aware of, but the one that we got from one of our other panelists, the AEP uh, project, um, seems to be uh, very effective as well as uh, providing uh, battery storage as a, an effective um, way to provide uh, transmission services to uh, the system and uh, something that we've uh, been trying to do for over 10 or 12 years now. But I think the reason uh, that it's happening, one of the other takeaways is that these technologies are becoming less expensive. And because they are um, being more, becoming more sophisticated and being less expensive, the result is we're actually seeing these things happen. Yeah, that's great news, too. And it's it's making it a lot more available, obviously, to those within the industry. And obviously, there was also a lot of perspectives shared in the panel with, with the number of panelists that you had on your session. I'm sure there were some questions that you may have not had the chance to dive deeper into. Was there a question that you wish may have been asked? Well, there was one area that I was hoping we would have had an opportunity to get into more, and I tried to kind of breach it a couple times, but um, we, we really didn't get it fully explored. And that is the area of competition and how uh, competitive developers uh, can, in fact, uh, participate more fully in providing for uh, battery storage uh, as a transmission asset and how they can really um work with the ISOs and their planning processes to really make that happen uh, so that we see uh, a wider range of alternatives being offered uh, for transmission alternatives. Uh, I think you're going to see more of that. I think that competition is going to happen, but I really would have liked to discuss that question more, and we really didn't have enough time. I mean, it was a you know very, relatively short session. We had a lot of people on the panel, so uh, it was tough to get in, into depth in any particular area. 
Yeah, completely understandable, but still a great session nonetheless. Again, if you. You, yeah, of course, uh, if you haven't had the chance to watch the session, again, it aired on Tuesday, October 13th, Solar and Storage as Transmission Assets. We'd like to thank John Wellinghoff for joining us on the Suncast Weekly Roundup, and I appreciate you being part of this conference. Well, thank you. I, I enjoyed doing it. Thank you very much. All right. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye-bye. We are here now with Don Wise, Chief Executive Officer of Marine Clean Energy, who's part of a great fireside chat on maximizing DER value through real-time control and market optimization with Mark Knight on Wednesday. Welcome and happy 10-year anniversary. I know you mentioned it that MCE is celebrating their anniversary this year. Yeah, we're celebrating 10 years of service to customers in our communities, and we're really excited to have hit that milestone. Yeah, that's great to hear. Congratulations. So for those who may have missed the session earlier this week, can you share some takeaways? Sure. Um, It was a great opportunity to dive into DERs, um, distributed energy resources. We talked a lot about our local solar projects that have been built across our service area. We actually have more than 10 megawatts worth of small-scale projects, um, one megawatt on average. And then we also have some uh, slightly bigger ones, you know, 10.5 megawatts. Um, And then we talked a lot about our other... um, programs that are helping with uh, battery storage uh, and to create more resiliency. And that's especially important now with all of the wildfires and, um, you know, power outages that can be related to that, um, making sure that our vulnerable customers and our medical baseline customers and our critical facilities like fire stations and shelters are able to make it through those events um, using DERs is um, really important. So we talked a lot about that. And we also talked about automation, how we can um, control DERs remotely and um, add a lot of value that way. That's great. I know that resiliency has been a pretty key topic uh, over the past few weeks uh, at SPI. Um, You also mentioned that since launching in 2010, there are now 22 CCAs in California without giving away too much from this session so people do not miss it and go back and actually watch it over. Uh, Where do you see this trend going? Well, there has just been a lot of interest in community choice. Local governments around California are interested in having uh, localized uh, decision-making around um, what type of energy they want to put into the grid for their customers. Um, And, you know, many of those local governments are interested in operating local programs that really meet the needs of their community. So um, that's why we've seen huge growth. You know, MCE was the first community choice program to launch in California, but, um, now that we have, uh, you know, 22 more uh, up and running and serving customers, um, I see continued growth uh, to be likely, um, both in the, the, you know, slight growth, I think, in the number of CCAs. Um, but I also think that as these programs mature and uh, get uh, up and running and past the launch phase, they're going to be um, doing a lot more on the programmatic front and on the DER front. So I'm really excited to see all of that unfold. Yeah, I'm also excited to see all that evolve in the next few years, next few months as well. And of course, in that session, it's 25 minutes long. Was there anything else that you could have dove deeper into or wish you could have? You know, I think the only thing I wish there could have been more time for is questions from the audience. I always like to get a feel for what what people are um, 
wondering about uh, and, you know, what other people are working on in this space. Um, so, uh, you know, if there had been more time, more Q&A would have been fabulous, but maybe next year. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, obviously, that's also something you're missing when you're not in person and seeing that engagement from the audience. But nonetheless, the session was great. Uh, the fireside chat went well. And we appreciate you being part of this conference. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was really a pleasure. Well, that's it for us here in the green room. Now back to the studio with Nico. Well, it's finally here, everyone. At long last, the virtual trade show and Solar Power International 2020 is upon us. Next week is a bevy of information, more of a fire hydrant than we've had for the last five weeks. And I can't wait. I hope you're just as excited as we are to check out the more than 200 exhibitors that have signed up to take part in this year's exhibition. Wow, over 200. Well, we know the experience is quite different from last year's and the past, of course, but the team at SPI put together a great tutorial video to get you ready. Check out the link below to see how to best navigate the exhibitor directory, find special offers, and chat with other attendees and exhibitors. That website is www.mysoncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. We know it's a lot to plan for. That's why we want to encourage you to take time over this weekend and on Monday to map out that plan. All the resources are there in the video we've got posted, and we also will link over to the trade show experience. So as I've said before, just bookmark www.mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020, where we've already made it easy to find all the great resources you need. Yeah, but aside from what will be a fantastic and interesting experience, 200 exhibitors in a virtual trade show, all the great education that you'd expect from Solar Power International is now packaged, as it has been for the last five weeks, into a digestible format. So the great products and technologies in the virtual expo are where many of you will spend your time. There's still a slew of show floor education, just like you'd expect from the stages of SPI's past. Now, that's Wednesday and Thursday as well, and there are over 70 concurrent sessions. It might be difficult to choose what to watch in your spare time when you're not perusing the virtual halls, but the crew over at Sets have also made it easy with seven different channels, just like the stages that you'd find around the trade show floor in real life. Those stages are the energy storage channel, the installer training channel, the solar channel, smart energy weeks channel, hydrogen and fuel cells, microgrid channel, and the electric vehicle channel. I know a few of my geeky friends are going to be glued to the EV channel. And to make it even easier for you to decide how to consume from all of the content that's going to be there, here are a few of our favorite sessions to highlight from next week's lineup. We've curated four for you on October 21st and a couple of more on the 22nd. So from noon till about 2.30 on Wednesday, we've got the general session, the wired energy in the home session, looking at what's next in the California fuel cell partnership, the 2 p.m. leveraging simulation best practices for DER integration on the Smart Energy Week channel, and impacting climate change through renewable innovation, again on the Smart Energy channel at 
And then on October 22nd at 1230, there's Equity and Justice on the Smart Energy Week channel. And also at 2 p.m. is Making Sense of the White House Solar Tariff Proclamation, also on Smart Energy Week's channel. That does it for us here at North America's Smart Energy Week's Suncast Weekly Roundup. Thank you once again to our partner, LG Solar, for making this weekly roundup possible. And hey, as we've said, please give us your hot takes and takeaways. Be a part of the weekly roundup. Next week, I know so many of you are going to be hyper-engaged. This is the moment we've waited for. Share your favorite takeaways with the hashtag SPI Suncast. We'll be right back in studio next Friday, 4.30 p.m., to bring you all the keen insights, our experience and expectations from the virtual trade show. For now, I'm Nico Johnson. And I'm Glenda Johnson. You guys have a great weekend. All right, that's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors. But I do hope that you'll check out the other Two for Tuesday episodes and let me know what you think of these shorter format discussions. You want more like this? You can find more than 200 episodes, resources, highlights from the discussions, along with social media links to each guest episode, book recommendations, and so much more over on the blog at mysuncast.com. And that's also where you'll find other ways to engage with the Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our weekly emails or even joining the exclusive inner circle we affectionately refer to as the Guild. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I so appreciate your rating and review so that others can also find Suncast more easily. A special thank you to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Follow the links there for any offers we've discussed here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.